0: Thank you for downloading this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We pray that you receive encouragement from the study of God's Holy Word and that you will grow in the faith and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to, I'm going to dive into it and I want to have a little bit of fun with this and I want to speak from my heart. So if you are not a regular here at Grace, I think you'll learn about my perspective on something. And if you are a regular, then I hope that this is a refreshing for you. Of something that I hold true. And I can take a pretty safe bet and say that my dad, Pastor Frank, feels the same way. I believe that he does. Probably the other people who speak here would feel the same way. But certainly this is how I feel. And I want you to know this. I was surfing online, and this is actually over over a period of years. And I've noticed there's a number of organizations out there some believing organizations, most believing, but sometimes secular organizations, and they try to find out what people, uh, you know, safe assumptions in churches. You know, what do people assume when they go to a church? What do people assume of others who call themselves Christians? For example, there's a lot of assumptions from people who don't know the Lord that in order to be a believer in America, a Christian in America, you have to be Republican. That's an assumption. So, there's a number of assumptions that are out there. Some of them I think are uh, very clever. For example, uh, one, I've got these sources if you're interested later on, but uh, one, one assumption uh, if I met Jesus today, for a believer, if I met Jesus today, I would immediately know who he was. So, if you're walking on the street and Jesus is walking the other way, you would immediately identify Jesus. That's an assumption. That some people have. And I've also seen on the other side that some people just say, no, none of us would recognize Jesus if we were walking down the street. So there's an assumption that we wouldn't recognize Jesus, which I, th- I think is kind of funny. Um, some uh, pastors assume that America is a great ally to the church. There's an assumption there. Whether or not that's true or not, we don't know, but it's an assumption. Uh, some pastors and, and people in congregations really believe that numbers. Matter. You're in, if, you're, if you're a part of a big congregation, then you must be very spiritual. That's an assumption. By the way, I disagree. I, I firmly disagree. There were 12 disciples. Isn't that terrible? I think Jesus was unbelievably successful. Now, he had more followers, he actually had more than 12, but there was that core 12. Just 12. He didn't have a core of 5,000. Another assumption: um, Christians uh, don't have fun. I remember working. I worked at I had a corporate day job not that long ago, really, and they were convinced. The people on my team at the time were convinced that since I was a believer, I must have a minivan. I don't. I had a two-door sports car. Actually, it really blew their minds. It's kind of fun telling them that. I don't have a minivan. That's a car the devil drives. (coughs) By the way, I'm just kidding, Ben Holdman. Another assumption, we can only be friends with Christians. You know, there's an assumption that believers can only be friends with believers. We better set up our own little believer community and we drink milk from Christian cows. And everything we do is regarding Christians. That's an assumption that's out there. Another assumption, um, God is a genocidal maniac. These are from people who don't know the Lord, and they hear in the Bible that God obliterates this people, and this, and this, and this. And they're hearing Old Testament stories of what would happen, and they're not understanding context and, 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 and things that are going on in scriptures. So there's all kinds of assumptions floating, on, uh, floating around out there about believers. True? True? Have you heard some of these? How many of you have heard assumptions over the years? Plus, I just shared them today, so now, you, now you've all heard them now. Then... There's another thing that's going around the internet that I've, that I've seen going around the internet now for several years. And I think this, is, this one has struck a chord with me for a lot of years. And, and this is something all, exclusively I've only seen Christian or believer organizations put out. And it's it statements, things that pastors wish their congregation would know. Things that I wish, and it's not literal, they're not speaking for me, things that I wished you all would know. Or, I found one that was the congregation wished their pastor would know. So, how about if I read some of those? (laughs) Things that congregations wish their pastor knew. Congregations wish their pastor would preach messages relevant to their daily needs and struggles. Is that true? You want to hear relevant messages? Yeah? How about this one? Congregations wish their pastor understood the high demands of their schedules. Are you busy? You want me to know that? How about this? Congregation wish their pastor would be transparent and sincere, instead of only relating to them when under the anointing from the pulpit. Oh, By the way, we all have the anointer. If we give our life to the Lord, we have the anointer inside of us. So I hope that you don't see the pulpit as a special kind of uh, oh. <laughs> congregation's wish. Their pastor would affirm their calling as ministers in the marketplace. So in other words, they're saying. We, you, that, that you wish, I would know, that I recognize that you, when you go in the marketplace, that you have the opportunity to, to share the gospel, that your ministers in the marketplace. I want you to know I know that. I encourage it. I will help you. You know, I mentioned this earlier, I've worked for a lot of years in a corporate job, and I tried very hard to figure out clever ways to bring the gospel there. And I saw people come to faith. People gave their lives to the Lord in cubicles. I remember one time I was sharing with a lady about the Lord and she was standing up and I'm standing up and there's a cubicle wall dividing us. You know, how many of you have seen cubicle farms? People farms in cubicles. So I'm standing up and by the way, it's kind of a funny thing, you know, one person gets up, somebody else gets up. It's like prairie dogs. (laughs) You see a head pop up, then they sit back down, another head pop up. It really happens like that sometimes. You I'm talking to a lady and we're talking and I had been sharing faith with her for about six months or so before then and finally she said, Jim, I just want to know how to get it. And I said, well, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Make the check out to me. It's very easy. So we talked to her right there. She's looking right at me, right standing up with a cubicle while dividing us. She gave her life to the Lord. Another time there was a There was a lady, and she was across the aisle from me. So I'm in a cubicle and she's in a cubicle and we're across the aisle. And she's talking to me and I've been witnessing to her for months. And she finally, she said, you know, I just, basically the same thing. How do I do this? How do I give my life to the Lord? Oh, I'll tell you. Come on, let's try it. So right across the aisle, there's like 10 feet between us. She gives her life to the Lord. That happened another time. You know, I expect to be ministers in the marketplace. It's what the Lord expects. So when I think of assumptions, and when I think of things that, you know, people wish the pastor knew, or pastors sometimes wish the people knew, all of it leads me to having good, clear communication. Are you with me? So, I've got something this morning that I want you to know that I assume on you. I want to be very clear. There's two things. Okay? Now, before we really get reading, I want to set the context for this. Go ahead, Mike. We need to remember a little bit bit about the Lord and the sovereignty of God. This is just a sliver. We could talk about the sovereignty of God for hours and it would be a spectacular discussion. It is so good to remember the sovereignty of God. But these are just sliver looks, sliver looks, verse looks, On who the Lord is. And I apologize for the font. I was trying to jam as many verses on here as I could. And I actually, my original, I was going to have multiple slides of verses. And I thought, no, no, no. We only have so much time. So Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Can you see that? Is there any exception to that? He does whatever he wants. God can do whatever he wants. Daniel 435. Uh, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth he can do anything he wants anywhere in heaven and on earth Psalm uh, 22, 1 he turns it wherever he will the king's heart king thinks he's going to go this way God just says no I think I'll have you go this way Uh, we see this over repeatedly in (laughs) scriptures where there's a, a king who doesn't even know God he's not a king that follows God but God uses that king to accomplish his will which is one of the things that amazes me when believers get so concerned about our president. Our president should be this guy, should be this guy, or this gal, or this gal. God is God. He will use whoever is whatever to do whatever he wants to do. Uh, Psalm 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. I'm just thinking, I can't even do that in my own house. <laughs> Leah, make me some dinner. I can't even do this in my own house, but the Lord, whatever he wants to do, he can do. Ephesians 1.11, according to the counsel of his will, we have obtained an inheritance. The counsel of his own will. And we can go on and on. Job 42, I like how Job says this at the end of this book, after this crazy lifestyle. I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Only God can take something that's so hard in our life and work it out for his good. We can't take something hard in our life and work it out for our good. Only God can do that. Think about that. God can take something in the past, in the past, and make it good. God's sovereignty, his ability of doing things and of seeing things is way beyond, and we know this, it's way beyond what we understand. Even our vocabulary is inefficient. Have you ever tried to describe, and this is a great example of this, have you ever tried to describe a touch from God? There are sometimes I've had, and sometimes this happens in lives, and I've had this happen a couple times. I know a number of you have had this happen. There's a a special encounter with the Lord. And what I mean is, for whatever reason, God has revealed himself in a different way in in a different time. And it's very difficult to explain if you've never gone through this. It's not something that I generated and for me all of my experiences I was alone. There was no room full of people, I was just in my own prayer time and uh, my first one was when I was a teenager, a young teenager and and it how do you explain it? This is where I stopped. We don't even have the vocabulary. If you've ever been touched by God, you go, yeah, I it's cool. <laughs> And I've heard people try and describe it. And I don't even have touch right. God is a good expression. It might be a horrible way of saying it. People, people who don't know me might think, well, that guy's a weirdo. How do I say I was praying, something amazing happened to me, and it changed me forever on that, from that point? How do I say that? It's, there's not words. Even our vocabulary is inefficient. So when I try to describe the sovereignty of God using our words... I'm probably not going to do a very good job. And neither will you. I'll text back. (laughs) So are you with me here? In order to get to these two things, these two assumptions that I have of you when I preach, I want to uh, be sure that we're all on the same page, that God is sovereign, that God is amazing, that God does things beyond our understanding. And it's silly for us to think that we can keep up with them. Amen? Amen. Okay, number one. Let's look at it, Mike. Therefore, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. This is it. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When I preach, my assumption number one, I believe that, we, that you're remembering that God is sovereign, that he is greater, and we need to walk in humility. I really believe that. When I think all the messages that I preach, I mean, I really, I'm coming with an assumption. My first assumption is, that you want to walk in humility with the Lord, that you know we need God. And when I put my message together, that I know I need God. That we need to walk in humility. He's got these commands to, to love him and love others. How on earth do we have a proper form of love if we think we're better? You hear what I'm talking about, right? The humility piece is a critical piece. So when I come and I, I speak, I really believe, I truly believe that we're looking to be humble. And humble, by the way, this doesn't mean a pansy. This is somebody who recognizes that we're we're we don't have everything. We have to go to God. God has everything, God is sovereign, and we need each other. Let's look at this next slide. I just want to give you some tips on humility. This is a challenge for us always. And humility is something, it sets a healthy baseline for our lives when we deal with things like being envious or being jealous. If we just remember who we are and who God is and that he takes care of us and he walks us through things, if we remember that stuff, a lot of things in our life are going to be all right. Right away, humility is the great scrubber. And We walk in humility and we're suddenly in a really good place to experience God. So just a few tips and we could go through. I could stack up. We could triple or quadruple these tips. There's a whole bunch of things, but these are a few that just stood out to me. Be thankful uh, for Thessalonians 518. Be thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances. One key to humility is just give thanks. If we don't know how to be humble, <clears throat> if you don't know how to be humble or I don't know how to be humble, let's just start by giving thanks. If we really see that we have been blessed, humility becomes much easier. Uh, Ephesians 4 intend to speak well of others have the intention to speak well of others work hard to speak well of others this is a funny one to me I've known people in congregations to speak well of the people in the congregation until they leave the congregation oh I don't go there anymore I can say whatever I want that's not how it works intend to speak well of others that hurt you And to tend to speak well of others that love you. Intend. It takes effort to speak well of somebody who who says terrible things. You remember what we used to hear from our moms and grandmas? If you don't have anything nice to say, it is such, that is such a, it's got a great biblical foundation, that statement. We need to speak well always. There's times I'm sure my siblings would get mad at me. They still have to speak well of me. (laughs) Be fast to sincerely forgive. Be fast to do it. Oh, I just need time. You know, I've shared this story, and I'll share it always. I remember years ago, there was somebody who sat down, they wanted to talk to me. Okay, it's a serious conversation. They wanted me to know that I had offended them several years earlier, and they finally decided it was time that I knew. And I said, I don't even remember. And they said, well, you did. (laughs) What did I do? Several years earlier, I didn't remember. I didn't even know what they were talking about. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, well, it was very hurtful. You're going to have to tell me. And it was the strangest conversation. So at the end of it, I said, and I'll share with you, what is the statute of limitations? (laughs) if we offend somebody how long do we have before they can tell us if we don't even know we offend them if we're offended we can't wait several years we got to have a healthy normal love-based conversation to work it out remember preserve the relationships but we have to be fast to forgive if somebody says i'm sorry we got to forgive them quickly and serve others. Great sense of humility if we're serving. My dad's got an expression. I've heard it for years and years and years. And he has preached it for years and years and years. You know, if you're not rowing the boat, you're rocking it. In other words, if you're not working together, if you're not serving one another, you're probably causing issues. Did I say that right, Dad? And it's true. If we're not rowing the boat, we're rocking it. You know, people who people who have... No service. They have no. They're not serving anybody. They have a. They do an excellent job telling us everything we're doing wrong. It's amazing. People who are busy serving don't have time to complain, and they just get on in there and do it. You think I'm right, Sandy? Uh, there are some people who have the the spiritual gift of complaining and informing. just you know I've, I've got all these examples in my mind but i think of all the times i've complained it's cuz i'm not doing anything humility is a baseline so when i preach anytime i preach i believe that we're looking to do these things here in this house and when i position all of my messages with this in mind that we are trying to be like this are we perfect no but i'm positioning my messages To think, this is what we're trying to do. This is one of my assumptions. Every time I preach, and I said earlier, I believe this is probably the same with my dad, probably the same with other speakers who who happen here. The second thing. Let's, Let's just look at the verse. Go ahead, Mike. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked, that's my underlining, with God, and he was not, for God took him. So he walked with God, he goes away. Now this next passage, and we don't have to read it, in Hebrews 11, this is another mention of Enoch. And in Jude... And it was in the bottom, and it got deleted there, but in Jude, uh, I believe it's verse 9, Jude's just one chapter, so chapter 1, verse 9, there's a mention of Enoch prophesying, so we know that Enoch actually heard God's voice, and that, all those passages are all we know about Enoch in the Bible. Now, I know there's a book of Enoch. That is not in the Bible, so we're not going to include that when I talk about things in the Bible, and I don't want to read that book. There are all kinds of reasons for that. So, Enoch. This is what I assume. I assume that we live lives like Enoch, to walk with God. That every day, wherever we are, that we're waking up and and praying. Or reading the Bible. We're spending that quiet time with God. Every day, it's our heart's desire to get to know God more. And I know we're all at different stages, of different points in our life. I'm not talking about that. I believe, and my assumption is, that you're all doing like what I'm doing. And when I get up and preach, that you're not coming and hearing for the first time that week Bible scriptures. That's an assumption of mine. If you're only hearing Bible scriptures when the preacher preaches on Sunday, you must be starving to death for the spiritual. Because you can't only eat once a week. True, Jim, you can't do it. The walking with God, just like Enoch, is a daily thing. Okay, now here's that word walk, the underlined word. Here's what it means, going to and fro. So Enoch, that's what that word stood for back then. Enoch would go to and fro with God every day, all all that he went to. Hey, God, and I'm just having fun with this. Hey, God, I'm going over here. Come on. Hey, God, now I'm going to go back over here. Come on. So when Enoch did this, that's what he did. When he lived his life, he walked to and fro with God. And I believe, my assumption is, when you come and hear a preacher, when I hear a preacher, that we have a daily walk. Enoch's greatest legacy was that he walked with God. It's not the prophetic mention in in, uh, Jude. It's not that by faith Enoch was taken up. It's the walk. And I believe We're a house, we're a congregational family of people that want to walk with God. So when I preach, I assume that during the week, all of us are looking to do that. And I position my messages accordingly. It would really be a bummer, again, I'll say this as an aside, it would really be a bummer if the only Bible that we hear is on Sunday mornings. Amen? Enoch's great legacy... You know he did a few things. We know that he heard God's voice. That's in Jude. We know that Enoch was a great grandfather of Noah, which is pretty cool. But his greatest legacy, he simply walked with God. So there's a verse. There's a song that we used to sing way back in the day, and some of you know it. And I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) Any of you remember this song? He has shown the man what is good. What does the Lord require of thee? See, so I remember the King James Version. How many of you remember this song? To do just, justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. My assumptions are pretty well captured in a verse. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? These are my assumptions that we're doing these things. To do justice. Here's what this means. If we go back and look at the Hebrew words, what it's actually saying is use good judgment on your decisions. To do justice. Use good judgment for life's decisions. And to love kindness, and this actually means to love kindness, be kind, have the agape base of understanding, the mercy and the kindness. It's that same base. It's an Old Testament base of that. When you think of others, look out for them. Be thoughtful of them, which is what we want to do as a family. And to walk going to and fro with God. Of course, it's humility. You with me? This is, I believe, this is the core of who we are as a house. I believe this is the core of who we are as a family. And every Sunday, when I get up and speak, this is something I believe is going on. I believe that you're praying for the services. I believe that you're praying for each other. I believe that you're praying for me. You should know that I'm praying for you. I go by names, and I've mentioned this, I've gone through the directory by names, and I continue. I don't, I don't do the names every single day, but I do the names often through the directory. I pray for you. I pray for your family. I pray for the people around you. If you're not in the directory, then I'll go for memory. Who else is here who's not in the directory? And I go through names. I pray for our ministries. I pray for our ministry heads. I pray for our elders and deacons. I pray for everybody. I hope that you're doing the same. I read the Bible. I have my own Bible reading, which is different from my preaching. I believe, I assume that you're doing the same thing. We have a clear vision in this house, and this is it: draw close to God. Okay, now I'm going to close with a couple of announcements. I know this seems a little backwards, but it seems like a good a good place to go. Uh, we are going to have next Sunday at first service here. We're going to have a state representative coming in, David Crowley, who's coming in, and Scott Setting is our community relations. Relations Liaison has been working hard to get the state representative to come in. So we'll hear from him for a couple minutes and have the chance to pray for him and give him a Bible. He doesn't know what the Bible so don't tell him. It'll be a surprise. Uh, we'll pray for him, and it'll be a nice thing. And we do this for the sake of the gospel, not a political stance. We're not Republicans, Democrats. We want to introduce the gospel and start to connect people to what the gospel says. And that's why we give the Bible. So that will be next Sunday. Um, this fall, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. We're going to start to peel back, and we do this from time to time. Who the Holy Spirit is, and what the Holy Spirit's about, and the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to mention this at the end of the sermon, so you know to pray and seek God for this. Seek God, because we're going to, it'll be a prolonged look, actually. We'll spend some time really looking at the Holy Spirit, personality of the Holy Spirit, and what He brings, and why we have Him, and why we operate in a new covenant. New Testament sense of the Holy Spirit and how that's a little bit different from the Old Testament. So we're going to talk about that. But pray for it. Start reading your own Bible verses on it. This is what we do, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I want to make sure if I have one other announcement here. I I, think I'm, I think I'm all set. Oh, one other thing. And this is a good way to end. If you're looking for something to do on Tuesday night, you're looking for a service. It's Yom Kippur service. Beth Messiah is hosting it, and Beth Messiah is our, I guess we'll say, a sister congregation that meets here. And uh, Yom Kippur is it remembers the Day of Atonement. Back in the day before Jesus, there was only one day a year to be forgiven. You did not want to mess around with that one day a year. So if you mess around in that one day on Yom Kippur, you had big troubles because you had to wait till the next year to be forgiven. Hopefully, you don't die in that year. This is how that this was the understanding. For us, we know that we can be forgiven every day, which is cool. So we come on Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Is it 6 o'clock? 7 o'clock. And and it's just a chance to seek the Lord and remember his sacrifice amongst other things. If you've never been to a Messianic Yom Kippur service, come check it out. And uh, it is a very serious service. It's actually a very solemn time. Uh, It's not a lighthearted service. It's a time to really just go before God um, and seek him in that way. So please stand up. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we are glad to be in your presence eternally. We recognize your sovereignty. We recognize it in our lives and we recognize it in this house. You're gonna do whatever you do as you see fit. And we're so glad that we can seek you and so glad that we can go before you and be connected to you as you do what you do. Lord, I pray for blessings on our lives, all of us, everybody here, Lord, as we look for you, that we find you in fresh ways, and new ways, that we're able to represent you well, articulate the goodness that you bring. God, I thank you for this house. I thank you for collecting this people's group together that we can follow you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Thank you again for downloading and listening to this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We are located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you are looking for a church to call home or would like to visit us for one of our services, please visit our site at gracecf.us for our location and service times. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.